0: Week break. Major League Soccer is back with the Eastern and Western Conference Finals on Sunday. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly With me is Ivis
1: Golarsev. How's it going, man? Uh, going pretty well, Garrett. I'm a. Uh, i am think I'm finally recovered from the jet lag of uh, my return from Europe. Uh, it's funny how when I was over there, I didn't really feel it, but when I got back on uh when did I get back Wednesday? When I got back on Wednesday, man, it, it hit me hard. I just passed out as soon as I got home. Uh today I passed out again in the middle of the day just just it's just it's going to take me a while to get back back to a normal sleep pattern but I got to say it was a great trip uh being in London and Dublin and while it wasn't a great trip from a results standpoint from the US national team uh it was a great trip for uh, for me just to kind of go to those cities and and really kind of soak in that soccer Culture over there, and then also meeting a bunch of U.S. fans who are out there making both trips. So great times there, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to what everyone wants to talk about, yeah. which is the U.S. national team. We'll talk about that later. But first things first, we have to talk about the MLS playoffs.
0: That's exactly right. I'm, I'm concerned though, Ivis. I mean, you're, you're a little tired right now. Am I, I going to have to carry the show today? <laughs> I'm awake now.
1: I slept a lot. <laughs> I slept a lot of the day. Um, I mean, I slept last. Night. I slept like a normal night's sleep last night. Really? That's. Um, I'm it, surprised by that. You never do that. Well, that's 'cause I was i mean I was tired and then but then today again, I was like by I don't know six o'clock, I was dead and um, but I slept so I'm wait now, I'll probably stay awake till the date till like nine a m now, so uh, I'm ready to rock man <laughs>
0: well, hey, at the rate we're going, I was little show on nine a m uh as you said though, Eastern and the western conference finals are on Sunday. First game's kicking off as New York, New England. After that, you have LA Galaxy versus the Seattle Sounders. Looking at this uh, matchup, Ivis, you have you know, arguably uh, the two best teams in, you could say almost in the league right now, but you have the two best teams in the Western Conference vying for one spot in the MLS Cup final. Uh, you know, Lots of conversation back and forth between this game. You know, Is Alonzo going to play? What's going to be the play in the midfield? I mean, Ivis, look, this is going to be a great matchup uh, for both these teams and, and for people to watch this weekend.
1: No, oh, no doubt. I mean, I think it's been – it's not anything new. It's been almost since day one that you could look at L.A. and Seattle and say that they were the two best teams coming into the season. Um, I thought Seattle, with the additions that they made, they were going to have a big year, and they, and they had a big year. They've won two trophies already. They're going for a third, but they're going up against an L.A. team that I just think has everything in place to make the run to win the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we saw in our against Real Salt Lake in that second leg – was just how dangerous they can be, how complete a team they can be, how they can overwhelm even a good team like Real Salt Lake. Obviously, Seattle's a better team than Real Salt Lake, mm-hmm. but I just, I've liked LA all, all year. I liked him even more now. And hey, Robbie Keane getting snubbed by Ireland, uh, getting benched by Ireland, you know, that's got to light a fire under him as well. So, you know what? It's, I, I see LA. Taking that series, but it's not going to be easy by any means.
0: Yeah, it's when you kind of look at the matchup between the two teams and, and you kind of look at just the overall LA Galaxy, you know, you have to favor their their the attack that they have, you know, as you said with Robbie Keane, he's on the MVP uh, shortlist. Then you have Landon Donovan, and, and yes, you're going to have some people, and you say, oh, well, you know, DeAndre Yedlin shut him down in that final game, and oh, yes, Seattle won that final game of the season. But, I mean, if you look back at that game, I guess, I mean, yes, the Marco Papa goals were kind of a little just you know blips other than that i mean la had a wonderful match and really kind of gave it to seattle in seattle which wasn't that surprising but which is currently look at both of these teams i mean you have to say ivis that la is more of the complete team here right
1: well i mean going back to that last game of the regular season you had no robbie keen you had no armor gonzalez and even without two of their best players the la galaxy gave seattle a handful yeah and, and obviously they went in there to make to make it a physical game uh, being without Keane, you're going to have to approach things a little differently. But now that they have Keane back, now that they've had a few weeks of rest with the rest of their team, uh, I think they're going to. I think they're going to just really be tough uh, for Seattle to deal with. And this is one of those situations where you ask yourself, does the does the higher seed really have an advantage? I mean, when you look at LA now, they come in rested, they're at home, they're feeling good. Uh, you know, after their blowout win against RSL, mm-hmm. they're going to come into this first game buzzing. And you know, obviously, the plan is. Get a couple goals on the board, put a zero up, and make things really difficult for Seattle, where you can put them away basically with an away goal in the second leg. And I tell you what, Robbie Keane, uh, obviously Landon Donovan, he had his ups and downs toward the end of the year, but you saw them against RSL. You saw what they can do when they're clicking. And I think I tell you what, I think they're going to be clicking for this one.
0: Um, one thing you know we're going to be paying attention to is kind of that midfield battle, you know, going LA versus Seattle Sounders. You know, reports are coming out of Seattle that L, you know, that, I'm sorry, that Seattle is uh, very happy with the progress of Osvaldo Alonso. I, you know, Ivis, without this being said, I mean, let's say for, hypothetically Alonso doesn't play on Sunday. I mean, Gallagos will control the midfield and should be able to to get the victory, right? I mean, Alonso matters that much to Seattle, right?
1: Well, I think even if he's there, I, I think L.A. is the favorite in the first leg. I think they're going to be able to handle uh, Seattle. I think defensively they're going to be able to neutralize the the Sounders. And look, I know Seattle scored two goals in L.A. when they met in L.A. uh, toward the end of the season. But I just think – I'll tell you what. I just think, see, L.A., come playoff time, they're just a different team. They're going to be a different team. Now, if you don't have Alonzo, that just makes things that much tougher. Although I do think Andy Rose is a quality player. You have him. You can plug him in. But you're losing someone in Alonzo who means so much to that midfield, does so so much work in the middle there. Uh, And especially against a team like L.A., you need Alonzo in there to break things up uh to make it difficult for LA to find the gaps mm-hmm. to find the passing lanes without him it's a lot to ask Andy rose to put in the kind of work that alonso does so if if alonso can't play or if he's not 100% that just makes that just increases LA's chances of winning the series yeah and you saw especially that midfield
0: battle how LA dominated Seattle uh last time as we as we said i mean these two teams played um i think you're not on the same page i think we're both going to be picking LA in this series
1: right no doubt no doubt i mean i think it's look. It could go either way. You can you can argue that, but I just have to give LA the edge, just because as we've said, um, I, I think they coasted toward the end of the season, regular season. I think they 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 had their sights set on winning this MLS Cup, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they understand how important it is to be rested uh, going in, and obviously getting Robbie Keane that extra rest that they got him. Uh, I think Landon Donovan now is reawakened after he, after he pretty much sleepwalked through the last month of the regular season. Uh, But I think with both those guys firing, they're going to be just too tough to deal with. Now, having said that, Seattle has a chance, no doubt about it. They have the the quality that they have. Mm -hmm. Martins and Dempsey, uh, you know, they're such a handful that they're going to make things tough. But I just think L.A.'s defense, when you're looking at both these teams, L.A.'s defense is better than Seattle's defense. Mm -hmm. And I think for that reason, I think L.A.'s going to have – they're going to just end up with more opportunities and they're going to end up with more goals.
0: Yeah, well, and and L.A.'s defense also is more consistent. Seattle, you you see kind of – Mistakes here and there, you know, minor minor setbacks that you're kind of like, man, what, what are they doing back there? I got to agree with you, man. LA's defense, that's kind of be a difference maker in this one. Moving over to the Eastern Conference, you have New York Red Bulls taking on New England Revolution. Ivis, these two teams dominated uh, in the previous round. New England all over the Columbus crew, and New York Red Bulls knocking off the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, D.C. United. Looking at this matchup between these two teams, it's a little bit more of a toss-up as much as you kind of – maybe you kind of want – Want to lean towards New England Revolution and with the play now of Jermaine Jones. I mean, you have to kind of go to New York and say if Henri can continue to deliver for them, Bradley Wright Phillips, I mean, New York has a good chance. I was this, this, this could go either way, it seems like.
1: I agree. I mean, I think you can go either way on this. I have to make New England the favorite, though. I think they're, they're, they came into the playoffs as the hottest team in the playoffs. They tore up Columbus. Lee Wynn is on fire. Jermaine Jones has been a perfect fit for them. Their defense has settled in well. Bobby Shuttleworth playing well in goal. And really, top to bottom, they're playing well. And look, the Red Bulls, obviously, since the playoffs began, actually, since the last game of the regular season, mm-hmm. they've, hit, they've hit a nice stride as well. But I just, you know, for me, I just think the Revs, um, I just think they've been doing it for longer on this run that they've been on. And and I just have to give, kind of give them the edge. Now, the Red Bulls can definitely win if Thierry Henry, if Thierry Henry steps it up, if he <laughs> <you> if <laughs> shows that level, uh, if he shows that level that, that only he can reach in this league, then then – Yo, know, they're in every game, and the for whole first leg at home thing is big for them because they get to play at Red Bull Arena. They get to put up that first result as they did in the DC series, and they can really make a statement in this game. And, and you know, for that reason, I think they they do have a chance. But I think New England, uh, you know, for me, the way I see this game going, I think the Red Bulls win, but I think New England gets the goal, and I think they keep it close. I think they get the the, the road goal that they want,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I can see it being like a two one result in the first leg uh but then New England going back home and and really feeling like they have a very good chance of taking the series.
0: Yeah, I feel like Henri's definitely going to be the X factor in in this series for for obvious reasons. You know, if you're New England, Ivis, you have to find a way to be able to shut him down, you know, because as much as as Bradley Wright Phillips has had a good season, you know, as as we've all seen. I mean, Henri's the guy that kind of drives the drives the car for for the New York Red Bulls and if and if he's shut down, you got to hope that, that you're still going to get continued uh, impressive play from Eric Alexander, Dax McCarty, and if you're New York, I mean another guy that's really stepped up is uh Louie I mean, who who's been great since Petke's brought him into the system. I mean, New York, obviously, you're going to have it. You're going to have multiple guys also step up in this year. You just cannot rely on Henri delivering for everyone else.
1: Well, Lu- Peggy Louie has been uh, Mr. 1A for them in the playoffs. Uh, obviously Henri is has been the thriving force, but L- Louie has made scored some big goals. He's made some serious plays. Uh, since he's been handed the starting role, and uh you know he he has been that kind of that third weapon, that third amigo to go with right Phillips and henry And uh if you're New England, you really have to keep tabs on Louie and and that's going to mean, um, and in the first leg definitely you're going to want to contain them. You're going to want to maybe have Jermaine Jones sit back a bit and help support, uh, defensively. Uh, and and obviously Thierry, Thierry henry is the big the big guy you want to deal with. Andrew Farrell. Has had his ups and downs with Henri. I mean, obviously, a year ago he got torched pretty badly. Uh, looking at it this year, it, it hasn't quite gone that way. Uh, but he's going to be key. I know he's coming off a bit of a slight injury, but he's supposed to be he's supposed to be back for this one. Uh, but Farrell Farrell has the defensive ability to kind of keep keep Henri honest, or maybe force him inside, take him a little bit out of, out of his comfort zone. But it's tough to ask any one person. Uh, to shut down Henri. So you're going to need help from the midfield. You're going to need Till Bunbury dropping back, obviously, to uh, to help out uh, on that side of the field. So it's not going to be easy dealing with, uh, with Henri, but if the Revs can do it, if the Revs can keep him, Keep him honest, keep him under wraps somewhat in that first leg, then that'll help them a great deal going in in New England.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it also I, I've noticed it's just Henry's so good at de- deception and finding ways to stay open. I mean, New England's g- going to have to stay dialed in the second this game starts. You do not want to find an opportunity where he's on the outside wing with space. That's completely dangerous for them. Um one cool thing about this game, though, it's going to be on national TV on NBC, which you give a lot of fans an opportunity, Ivys, to see Charlie Davies, who's had quite an impressive playoff and is starting to really develop into a great forward for for New England.
1: Well, he's on a nice run. He's on a nice little run. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's reached greatness yet. I mean, he had a he had a good series. Did I, I did I say
0: greatness? I didn't mean to say greatness.
1: You said great. You used the word I great. I
0: said great. Well, he's, he's I guess coming into his own, you know, stepping up for this team. People will get is, to see him. Right. right. Well, that, that's, tur- that's what I meant to say.
1: He's ter- Right. He's turning it on. Look, I love – and look, I really like Charlie. Charlie's a great guy, and his story obviously is is an inspirational one. Um, but he's going he's gonna to be a handful for the Red Bulls. And and the one thing that's interesting about this matchup is you have two teams that both play the one forward system. They both play that 4-5-1. Uh, and and their forwards are a little bit different. Uh, obviously, Wright Phillips is a handful. He makes his he, he makes such well-timed runs, uh, and he reads the passes out of the midfield so well. Uh, with Charlie Davies, Charlie Davies is so quick, so mobile, and so deceptive that he catches the he can catch a defense sleeping and make the well-timed run. And with if you're the Red Bulls defense, Red Bulls defense has stepped it up in the playoffs, no doubt. No doubt there, but they haven't had to deal with someone like him. Uh, you could argue, yes, Dom Dwyer is, is kind of a upgraded version of that, and and obviously Dwyer scored a goal in that first series, so it'll be somewhat similar to that, trying to deal with trying to deal with Davies, although he's not as physical, uh, as strong and physical as Dwyer is, but he's quick and he's mobile and he's never he's nonstop trying to find the gaps in the defense. So if you're if you're Hamas and Olave, if you're Ibrahim Segaya. You have to be really cognizant of where he's, where he's slipping into uh, because he's really good at finding the gaps. And, and, not, and the thing with New England, not only do you have to worry about him, but then you have to worry about Lee Wynn uh, making runs from the midfield. You have to even worry about Jermaine Jones as well. So that's, the, that's what makes New England so tough is the runs out of midfield, and, and they have to be on top of that. Uh,
0: to make matters worse for New York, I was no Roy Miller. I feel like some fans will probably say yes, and yeah, the other half saying, no, we need him. He'll be out this match.
1: To be out for both uh, matches, actually. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, it, it's a great chance to to give that y- the young player for them, Oyango, uh, a chance to show what he can do. Uh, a lot of observers who, who follow the team pretty closely uh, rave about Oyango. I mean, you've seen flashes of him uh, during the year, flashes of what he can do, and and he's young, but he's obviously young and talented. Uh, and you just wonder which way is he going to go as that young kind of you know guy who doesn't have playoff experience. Is he going to just come in? and just not feel any pressure or is it going to overwhelm him uh it's that's but i think it helps that they're at home they're at home for this first game uh it'd be different if he was getting thrown into the fire and they're and they're, and they're playing on the road against a hostile crowd so i think he'll do well i, I don't I, i'm not sure they'll necessarily uh miss a beat in the first leg when they go to new england for the second leg that's where i think we want to see how youngo stacks up so he he's going to be one to watch obviously how he handles uh, a player like Till Bunbury, who's Till Bunbury's coming off a great game against Columbus, uh, eliminated them. He was, you know, I think he was the man of the match in that game. Uh, and he's he's looking really good playing on the wide role uh, as opposed to the forward, you know, his target forward role that we would kind of uh, grown accustomed to seeing him, seeing him in. So we'll see. We'll see what New England uh, New England can do against Oyango.
0: And I'm in the same boat as you. I I think New England's going to be able to find a way. No, I'm sorry, not find a way, but I think New England will, will walk away with with the series victory, which means Ivis will have L.A. hosting New England Revolution.
1: Right. I mean, look, we could. I, I definitely think we could see L.A. New York. I know MLS would love that. I'm sure the MLS bosses, the head, the the folks at MLS HQ, the TV people. I'm sure everybody outside of Seattle and New England would love an L.A. New York final. You get the Landon Donovan, Terry Henry retirement score storylines and all that, but I think New England, man, they're just so tough. So the, the, it's it, both series are good. You could we could have any number. We could have four different. I think it's four, right? Four four different um, variations of the MLS Cup final, and I, I think any one of them would be entertaining. Any one of them, I think, will be fun for for the neutral fan to watch. You know, whether it's Seattle, New England, uh, Seattle, uh, New York. L.A. New York, L.A. New England, any of them, because these these teams, I'll tell you what, New New York wasn't necessarily great during the year, but we've seen now what they can bring to the table. We've seen them finally uh, reach the potential that they had. And and for that reason, any any of these matchups would be a good one. And, and it's it's really a coin toss. But I'm going with L.A. and I'm going with New England, though. I'd say the Red Bulls would surprise me less than Seattle would. And on Thursday,
0: Major League Soccer announced their shortlist for the 2014 awards. You know, that's the MVP, Rookie of the Year, so on and so on and so on and so on. I have a few surprises Um, for most valuable player of the year. You can't argue. Robbie Keane. Uh, Obafemi Martins and Lee Wynn. You got some people saying, what about Bradley Wright Phillips? But look, that's an impressive list of of guys to be up for MVP.
1: Right. I mean, I don't think anyone was... I I don't think anybody outside of New York was really surprised by who the final three were. I think you can definitely make a case for Bradley Wright Phillips. There's definitely a strong argument there. I think it still works against him that there's there's a popular perception that Thierry Henry was more valuable. And I'm actually of that opinion. That I think you know, for what Henri does, he he's so vital to them. And and we, as we see through the years, if you play next to Henri, if you play with Henri, as a as a forward, you're gonna score goals. Luke Rogers, Kenny Cooper, yeah, fa- even Fabian Espindola. uh, you know, a miserable Espindola still managed to score nine goals when he didn't even want to be there. So I, I mean, I think that worked against Ray Phillips. Uh, I know some people will say, wait a minute. He he's an irre- irreplaceable player. If he did if he wasn't on the team, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. I I completely disagree with that. I just think if he if he hadn't stepped it up, I think they would have had to just uh, shift some things around. They wouldn't have had the luxury of playing Thierry, Thierry Henry on the left. I think they would have had to stick with either an Henry Cahill forward tandem and, and and look at other options on the wing. I think that's what you would have had to do. So if anything, what right Phillips, what his. Uh, what his form and his evolution as a goal scorer did was allow the Red Bulls to find a system that really helped uh, keep Thierry Henry healthy and gave him the freedom to to kind of you know manage his how much his contributions and not have him up top with with no one to set him up. Um, so, but look, right, Phillips, he would have been deserving, no doubt. I I I, I could see the point, um, especially when well, let's talk about Ob- Obafemi Martins. I've talked about it before. Um, when you look at his production against winning teams, his production against top teams, uh, it just wasn't on the same level as a lot of these other guys. And, and we're not going to get into the winners. We'll talk about the winners. We'll, we'll pick our winners for these awards in the next show. But I, I would say that it's easy to it's easy for people just to just look at the stat, the final stat totals. And also for people to look at that last game against L.A. and say, oh, well, Martin's played well in that game. That got that one under on the supporter shield. He he's he's a finalist. He should absolutely be a, be a finalist. And I don't know. I don't know if I if it were me and you're asking me my final my three finalists. When I look at things like like uh, the team's record, when he scores, uh, like the opponents that he's putting the stats up against. A lot of his stats were against losing teams. He racked them up big time against losing teams. For that reason, I would probably have put Ryan Phillips on the ballot over over Martin's. But I can see how people went with Martin's.
0: Uh, well, looking looking at the rest of the awards. Uh, some of them, Ivis, they, they look pretty good. Then, then you get to the coach of the year finalists, right? So, so you get Greg Burhalter, Greg Ber, excuse me. Uh, good start. Ben Olson. Okay, all, all right, we're off to a really good start. And then Ziggy Smith. I mean, what, what the heck? How, how is Oscar Preha not on this list? That, that, and then you get Jermaine Jones as newcomer of the year. I, some of these awards,
1: Ivis, it's, it's insane. It's just lazy, man. It's just laziness on the part of voters. Some voters look. Jones has been great for New England. You can't argue that. But the guy, he's, he's he got he's, he arrived. He got there lunch. in August. He got there in August, late August. He missed more than half the season. Like I'm sorry, I, I, this isn't. And look, here's the thing. It's not the first time this has happened. We've seen this before <laughs> with, with with players arriving and and making such an impact that people are like blown away, and they, and they and they and they that's who they think of. That that it's kind of that. What have you done for me lately? Uh, phenomenon where you know people who don't really follow the closely uh you know they'll remember the guy who's been lighting it up recently and they'll be like oh well what about him um so you know uh, there's no denying jones has been great for new england when he since he's arrived but you can't give a guy a season-long award for for two months of work you just can't do it but uh, unfortunately he's a finalist i don't think he'll win um but i am a little surprised uh, on that one how steve clark from columbus can be a finalist yeah. for, for goalkeeper of the year, but he's not a finalist for newcomer. I think maybe someone was under the impression that Americans can't be newcomers. He is absolutely a newcomer. He hadn't played in MLS before this year, so he should be there. Um, well, look, Jermaine Jones, obviously U.S. national team player, so he's there. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't know how you how you uh, take a guy like Steve Clark and not give him that. Obviously, he got recognition for the goalkeeper award. I don't think there's a rule that says you can't you can be up for more than one award. I think you can. So for that reason, I think Clark should have been on that list. I don't think Jones should have been on that list. And then coach of the year, I think that's the the biggest snub for me was Pareja. And I know some people will look at at the finalists and say, well, who's who does he beat out? Obviously Ben Olson's on there. Yes, no one's going to no argue that. Now for me, now Shiggy Schmidt, he took a team that was supposed to be good, was supposed to be this good, supposed to be competing for all the trophies. Um, so that then you have to ask yourself what, like, how much credit do you give the guy uh for leading a team that's supposed to be this good they're supposed to be this good so, it, it, so is so is it necessarily a great coaching job or is it uh the work of a great team for me when I look at FC Dallas and I look at Oscar Perahan what he did with that team he took a team that was pretty much like mostly the same team that didn't yep. come anywhere near the playoffs last year and he got him not only got him into the playoffs he got them to the the to the next round he got them to the uh to the conference semifinals um so i, I don't know i just think for me and in a, in the tough western conference as well yeah. um he didn't have the advantage of like with, with a ben olson and a, and I, i've said this before look ben olson before dc united ever took the field in 2014 they had already completely transformed their roster yep. they had already bolstered their lineup Bobby Boswell, Fabiana Spindler, Eddie Johnson, uh, Davey Arnault, Steve Birnbaum. The, the list goes on. All these pieces, all these major pieces. So it, 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 are, do people really not remember that before the season, D.C. was absolutely D- looking like a playoff D- team? We picked them to be a playoff team. D- so, D- D.C. brought in seven players to be starters, and that was a whole
0: roster revamp. That just it amazes – and, yes, you can argue that Ben Olsen could be coach of the year – and and you and I have discussed this, but it's just it's amazing how how people don't recognize that and just don't see the the job that Oscar Preha did. Like you said, got the team to the playoffs, got them to the next round. Also, Oscar Preha got you know not you know some of these guys had career seasons. A lot of guys stepped up. Castillo had a wonderful year for FC Dallas. It just and, and for me, I've been saying this for weeks. I was is is in my opinion is the coach of the year. How they messed this one up is like you said, it's happened well, before. No, but it, it's just it's it, like it's like come on, man, come. It's
1: on. not that sh- look. It's not that shocking because at the end of the day. Not everybody who votes keeps track of everything or or watches the league closely completely. Um, you're going to have small market guys kind of lose out on occasions unless they're a glaringly obvious example. Um, so I think that's just another example and FC, FC Dallas flying under the radar a bit yep it's not, it's not the first time. Um, but I agree with you when you when you think about that's something else that that needs to be factored in how a, how a coach has impacted players and that's why for me, Greg Burhalt is a great candidate. You look at yes. all the guys that all, all the guys that flourished under him. Uh, whether it's Ethan Finley, Justin Marum, Tony Chani, Will Trapp. i mean, all these guys mm-hmm. stepped their game up considerably. Uh, and then you look at Perea, like you said. I mean, Matt Hedges—you know—goes from being a pretty good defender to being a defender year candidate. Uh, Victor Uyoa, who was a non-factor before this year and became a regular starter and a solid contributor. Uh, they, they had obviously Castillo finally realized his potential and and had his the, his best season by far. So I, I mean I don't know for me I, if it if it's my ballot I'm putting him on um, ahead of Siggy Schmidt but at the same time you can kind of understand how some people will look at the, the at the cups at open cup supporter shield and say. Well, you got to give Ziggy Schmidt something, and I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> true. Yeah, but,
0: but you don't have to, though. That's, that's the I, thing. I, I, and I hope I, people don't say, like, oh, it's like, well, he won it. So, we, you know, it, no, that, that, no, that doesn't mean anything. I, maybe it's because I come from a loser city where all our sports teams suck, so, like, I have to, like, look forward to, like, our moments, you know, of blips where we're good. But it just, it just amazes me how, how people put Ziggy Schmidt over Oscar Perea. It's just, it, it's, it, 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 it takes away from the award now. It's like, it, and no offense to <laughs> the other coaches, but, I mean, come on.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if I'll go that far. I mean, I think Ben Olson was always going to win this thing, and I think now it's it's pretty much a gimme. Um, but you know, they, if you look at some other sports, I mean, as an example, I think Phil Jackson. I don't, I don't think he ever won Coach of the Year, uh, and he won you know all these titles with with the Bulls and, and the Lake and the Bulls and the uh, and the who, who's the other team you won with Lakers. My Lakers, oh my Bulls gosh,
0: you're losing your mind.
1: Bulls, Bulls, Bulls <laughs> uh, dude, what do you want from me? I'm on I'm on the, uh, I'm on London time, so uh, uh, Bulls and the Lakers. Uh, and there's no denying the guy is um, arguably the best coach of all time in basketball, but he didn't win a coach of the year award because in any, in any one of those seasons, you couldn't uh, look at what he did. And What, what did uh, say? he He did win uh, <coughs> NBA coach of the year in 1996. Oh, he won it once. He won it once. And how many titles did he win? I, uh, 11.
0: Wait. Right, I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. 10, yes? 10, yeah, No, it's 11. I, I'll tell you, I, I think. All right, I don't know.
1: 10. Yeah, we're, we're really showing everybody our NBA knowledge. But Phil Jackson, okay, he won it one time, one time. Arguably greatest coach of all time in NBA history, he won Coach of the Year one time. Uh, and part, of, and why is that? Because he was expected to win with Jordan, with Shaq, and Kobe. He was expected to win. And when you look at this, isn't to say Siggy Schmidt deserves no credit because he deserves some credit because he helped revamp the roster. He saw the problems. He and he he addressed them. And coming into the year, I think most people had Seattle as the first, as the best team or the second best team coming into the year. Um, with FC Dallas, Oscar Brea took over a team that was in shambles, in shambles, and he didn't have this budget. He didn't have Clint Dempsey, five, six million, Obafemi Martins, five, six million dollar players. He had his team pretty much the same team that they had a year earlier, and he turned them into a playoff team. So for me, Oscar Breha absolutely deserved to be a, a top three finalist, but again, not at all surprised that he didn't get mentioned. Uh,
0: well, you and I will go into this more detail. We'll pick some of the other awards that were also announced. Uh, you know, Rookie of the Year, Defender of the Year. Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, we'll discuss that one. So <laughs> I'll put yeah. this on Whoa. hold. Either. Oh, oh, oh. Not even getting started. No, this, is the, this, is, this is the end of this segment. It's time to transition. I'm not letting you get going on that one. Um, on Wednesday, Major League Soccer held the dispersal draft for Chivas USA. All the players uh, were put in a draft. All the Major League Soccer teams could choose players. FC Dallas had the first pick. They went with the obvious choice. Dan Kennedy, you also had uh, Thomas McNamara chosen by DC United. My boy, Donnie Toya, selected by uh, Montreal Impact. Uh, but Ivis, uh, along with Dan Kennedy being number one pick, a lot of the cheapest USA players did not get picked.
1: Right. I mean, I think that was always going to be the case. Uh, I, I think what it needs to be pointed out is, again, people who pick players in the expansion draft, you're adding a player to your list of people that you have to protect uh,
0: exactly.
1: in the expansion draft. So not everybody has the wiggle room uh to make to make that worth their while. And obviously, you know, if you're Dallas and you can get Dan Kennedy, you go and get Dan Kennedy. He was always going to be the top pick. I was, however, a little surprised to see Thomas McNamara slide down. I know he's coming I know he just had ACL surgery. I know he missed most of the year with an A torn ACL. But what we saw from him in the first month mm-hmm. of the season was a guy who looked like he could be a rookie of the year. Yep. Like he he played that well. And for that reason, I think DC United DC United made out. They made out like bandits because you know what? If they can keep him, uh, wh- whatever they're going to do with the expansion draft, if they can keep McNamara, I think they're going. I think he could end up being a steal. I know he'll need time to recover from the ACL. The first year after the ACL is not always easy uh, to find your top form again. But if, if if they now that DC's got McNamara, I think he's going to end up being uh, a gem for them. And I think other teams are going to look at that and say, you know what? We should have found a way to trade up to go get him because I think he's got something special. So that was a little surprising for me, and I tell you what, Caleb Calvert, um, uh, a young, y- a young, homegrown prospect for Chivas USA, a talented teenage player, a guy who you know you, I, I heard lots of raves about. Um, I, I thought someone would take a flyer on him just because he had ha- he is that young talent. But I was a little surprised it was Colorado because they already have so much young talent when you look at their roster. Um, so so from that standpoint, I was like, wow, really? Okay. Um, But you got to love it, you know. As as bad a year as it was, uh, and I know a lot of people are looking at Pablo Mastroeni and saying, you know, should he keep the job? Should he be around? He, you know, Mastroeni's been committed to young players. He what he believes in young American players. He wants to develop them, and I think this is just another example of that. So you know what, this group, if if they can keep this group together with the guy, you know, guys like Dylan Serna, Marlon Hairston. they're they're gonna they they Shane O'Neill they they they've got a nice group here if they can keep it together if Phil, if Masrani can kind of learn on the job and 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 have a better job uh, do a better job next year on the international market because I think that's where the Rapids have struggled for a while now is signing quality international players not guys like Zat Knight who didn't show anything uh, in his little late season cameo if they can figure that out then all of a sudden you got to like what they're starting to do going forward.
0: Uh- also announced earlier this week, MLS expansion candidates met with league officials. Those cities are Las Vegas, Minneapolis, and Sacramento. Uh, I guess it seems like a pretty serious talk, especially for Las Vegas, who seemed to kind of fall off the radar a little bit with that stadium issue, but now they're back in the conversation. Um, I think Minneapolis and Sacramento would be great spots. I'm not too sure about Las Vegas, though, but... Uh, MLS man going ahead with Sacramento, who's, who's looked outstanding uh, in their kind of first year of USL Pro with, with all the huge fan support that they've had.
1: Right. I mean, I think it, Sacramento and Minneapolis have always been those two teams that have been in the conversation. And I think if, if, if Miami falls through, if Miami doesn't happen, I think you'll see both Minnesota and Sacramento uh, get in, get in uh, with the next group, with the next batch of teams. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think I agree with you. Sacramento's been amazing. They, they, they've shown uh, – they're just they're brilliant leadership on their part, great support from the city. You've got the mayor of Sacramento, Kevin Johnson, uh, going all over the place with their ownership group. So he's committed. He's got the city committed. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you have to like Sacramento and, and Minnesota's chances of jump of getting into this league before long.
0: And over on the East Coast, Robert Kraft, who is the owner of the New England Revolution. Uh, it looks like the team is eyeing a stadium in the uh, downtown
1: Boston area. Well, okay. Just to give people a summary who don't know anything about New England, about the New England Revolution, where they play, where they need to play. R- right now, they play at Gillette Stadium. And Gillette Stadium is about 40 minutes away from downtown Boston. And you know that's really hurt their the fan support that they've gotten. Um, because it's tough. It's not an easy commute. Now, if they can move the team and have them play in a stadium that's in proper, Boston proper, uh, next to some public transportation, making it easy for anybody within Boston, the, 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 the Boston city, uh, to get to a game, I mean, that would be huge for them. And I got to say, I, I, took, I, I, w- I was at their second leg against the crew two weeks ago. It was actually my first uh, trip to Gillette, my first trip to a New England game. In it's since like 2007, because, you know, obviously they uh, from 2008 around 2008, when I launched SBI, uh, I kind of stopped being a full time uh, beat writer covering the the Red Bulls. So that meant not going on as many road games. So and then New England, obviously, they hit their rut where they stopped being good. So I just never made it back up. And I got to tell you, when I went out for this game against Columbus, seeing the crowd that they were able to draw and seeing the uh, feeling, the energy there. You had the tailgate. You had a ton of fans there really early. Um, what that showed me was, I mean, they the crowd for that game was better than any crowd I'd seen, even when they were good, you know, going back 10 years ago, um, when they were making it to MLS Cup every year. Even then, when they were in their heyday, they didn't draw like they're drawing now. And that shows you that there's excitement and there's interest in that market. However... They're, they're, the location is still terrible it, public transportation is almost non-existent there it's so tough to get to if they find a way to put a team in boston proper you could have uh, a seattle-like situation there with, with, with just fans being able to get to games uh, but Bo- i think boston is a great soccer city but it's just there's always been that hurdle of of the team playing so far away from that central location so you know what Fingers crossed that they find a way to make that happen because if they do, I have no doubt, mm-hmm. I have no doubt that, they, that they'll flourish and that the fan interest will go through the roof. And moving over to the U.S. men's national team, they closed
0: out 2014 with a 4-1 to loss to Ireland. You have big conversations on both sides. You have some people freaking out, saying that the team's in shambles. You have some people calling for Jurgen Klinsmann to be fired. Ivis, I'm in the boat that these players have played a lot of minutes over the past year. Guys like Matt Beasler, it seems like he's played, uh, he's been nonstop for the past two years. I mean, a lot of these guys are tired, Ivis, and... I don't think losing 4-1 to Ireland is that big of a deal. I mean, how much stock do you put into this this loss? I mean, some people are just completely embarrassed by it. I get it, but it just seems like the reaction is a little too much.
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I'd say this, right? No, number one, no, it's not a case of a team being tired. Matt Beasler, yes. Matt Beasler is tired. Uh, no one would argue that. He, as far as he goes specifically, yes, the guy needs a break. He probably shouldn't have been called in. I wouldn't have called him in. But, you know, Klinsman chose to call him in, give him his first taste of, of, of playing in Europe. And obviously that didn't go that well, that well for him. But getting back to the whole just kind of state of the team, right? Um, it's a team in transition. It's a team that, you know, he, Jürgen Klinsman is looking for new players. He's looking for a, a new generation of players to come in and try out and test and see who's going to be a factor starting in 2015 when they start getting into these tournaments. Where you, Gold Cup in 2015... Copa America in 2016, Olympics in 2016, World Cup qualifying, possibly uh, Confederations Cup. So you have all all this stuff before the 2018 World Cup. So Klinsman wants to try out new guys, and you know what? It's been ugly. There's no doubt about it. There, there's it, it, here's the thing. So not only has he has he been experimenting, but then you've also had a case where veteran players uh, are not are not playing well, and I don't I don't think that's a fatigue thing. Fabian Johnson. Uh, and, and getting back to, to Klinsman, he he made some interesting comments after the last match talking about the U.S. team and basically how the, the U.S. World Cup team and how members of the U.S. World Cup team basically did not handle success well and maybe enjoyed it a little too much, partied, maybe they partied a little too much, maybe they didn't come into their club seasons as ready as they needed to be, and now we've, we've had uh, players fall out of favor or not not have starting roles. Guys like Fabian Johnson, who made the move to Mönchengladbach, and now he's not starting. John Brooks hurt the Berlin. Not you know he start he's been struggling, didn't hasn't started. Started may, now lately, starting to get some more playing time. Uh, a guy like Timmy Chandler, same thing. Um, so from that standpoint, when you have when you're trying to experiment with young guys, bring in some new faces, some new players and then your established guys aren't stepping up either, and yeah. they're struggling, that's like a perfect storm. Because then you have you – know, the young guys, you can't expect them to, 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 bring, to bring it and to, to, be, to be stars and to, and to dominate right away. You can't expect that. Although I will say Greg Garza has been the one pleasant surprise out of yeah. this whole situation. He's been great. But when you have your young guys not, not obviously getting it done for the most part, and then you have a lot of your veterans just not playing well, you're going to have this situation. And again, when we think about these games, there's no Clint Dempsey. You had uh, Jermaine Jones for the first game, but not the second game. Michael Bradley's out with surgery. Uh, Omar Gonzalez, they left out basically because they wanted to keep things even since Dempsey wasn't being brought in. So, you know, there were quite a few guys missing. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, having said that, you got guys who just aren't in good form. Fabian Johnson was terrible. Yeah, he he looked horrible in both games. He was terrible in both games. Jeff Cameron didn't look good. No. Kyle Beckerman, even in the second game, didn't look good um so it's so many of these guys that you know if you're a Klinsman you probably thought all right I'll have these guys as my foundation they'll be able to ha- they'll be able to kind of get us through even if the young guys struggle but instead you've had the young guys struggle you've had the veterans struggle it's a bit of a mess now this isn't to totally absolve Klinsman and totally say he's blameless because you, it's it, it's hard to do that when you see the results especially after the World Cup. Uh, but having said that, the whole idea about sh- he should be fired—I mean, that's insane. That is insane. I will say this: anyone who's saying that, I'm sure, looks at the World Cup as not having been a success. Yes, and that—and that because you know what—if you look at the World Cup and you say the World Cup wasn't that impressive, or the U.S. team didn't play well at the World Cup, or didn't do it at the World Cup, no kidding, you're going to think the guy should be fired because the, you know if you look at it that way, then that plus the friendlies after, there's just been nothing positive there. But. I, I think more often – than I think more people think there was a success than don't think it was a success. I don't know how I, – like I completely disagree with people who who, who look at it and say uh, he didn't do a good job. I, I thought he did a good job. Did he do an amazing job? No. Did he do a great job? No. Mm-hmm. He did a good job with the team getting the results they needed to get. I think people just got too caught up in how certain games went. The Ghana game, I know some people say, ah, oh, they won, but they, they got dominated. Yes, but you know what? When you score a goal in the first minute, you're gonna and you're going up against a team like Ghana. You're gonna. It's just the, human the, the, nature to sit yeah, on the lead. The game so, and the game know,
0: plans thrown out the window as soon as that happens.
1: Right. So I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think if you came if you came out of the World Cup looking at that as a failure or as or is or is not good, then then no kidding, you're going to think this way. But then I have to wonder. Uh, I wonder how many people who came away from the World Cup thinking it wasn't a good result, for a good performance from the U.S. went into the World Cup thinking Cleveland exactly. wasn't the right guy. Exactly. I think there's some I think there's some predisposition to that. Um, so you know what? For me, I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say he he's had a great year or, or or a very good year. I thought he had a good World Cup, um, and I think you know what? He there is some accountability for some of the uh, people that he's calling in because you know what? If you're going to be calling in guys like Miguel Ibarra. You're gonna call in the college kids like Jordan Morris, but you're not calling in guys like Lee Wynn, Matt Be- Uh, not Matt Beezer, uh, Matt Hedges or Jossie Zardis or Will Trap. You know, these other MLS players who shown a lot of promise. Then you're gonna open yourself up to some criticism when these other, when all these other guys, mm-hmm. Alfredo Morales, the guys that you're giving opportunities to, they're just not getting the job done. And I understand, I understand it on one level because you have the January camp. I'm sure we'll see a lot of these guys that I just mentioned in the January camp. Um, but you know what if you 're a you have to take some accountability for that, some accountability for for the guys you 've chosen to bring in mm-hmm. the chi- the guys you 've chosen to leave home. But having said all that it 's a team in transition uh and there the, there was always going to be this case of uh, of a team not not in great form. I mean who thought this u s team was going to come in and dominate when you were trying to experiment when you were trying to bring new guys in? Um. No. No. I, who really thought that they were gonna run the table well, but, and, and but, win all these games? But, but I, okay, a, a couple of things real quick.
0: And and I think some of the reason why maybe people are, are are saying that you're gonna need to be fired when when you have when you make news off the field, Ivis, and you don't win then that issue becomes compounded and that's happening for Jurgen right now if if Jurgen makes those comments and let's say the US goes and draws Colombia and beats Ireland then everyone's feeling pretty good about themselves and then all those comments that Jurgen said you know it's not water under the bridge but you know they go away for a while until he starts losing again but i think the other thing though is when you look at this team i think people also need to have a realistic approach to how good the US is And I think a lot of people like to think that we're a top eight team in the world. We're not. We're a team that's 11 through 20 that has some good players. And I think it's sometimes a little unfair. And I get it. If you're a fan, you're going to be diehard for your team. You're going to believe that they can always win. But I feel at times, Ivis, I feel like we don't. Set the realistic expectations for this team. There, there's no players on this team that are consistent Champions League players in Europe. What hap- What is the one theme with teams that finish top eight in the World Cup? They have Champions League players. I think some people overlook realistic expectations for this U.S. team.
1: Right. No, I agree. And when and let's talk about this game specifically because we did. I'm pretty sure we did. We talked about the Columbia game, right? I mean, we we had a show since the Columbia game. Or did we not? Uh, I, I don't. I
0: don't. I I don't think we did I, actually. I,
1: I think we did. I think we did do. I think we did. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> I don't think we did. Um, <laughs> we Really? We didn't do a show since the Columbia no, game? No, we we did one before the Columbia game with your bizarre, horrible internet connection in England, which is – that just fascinates me. Out of all the places we've connected, that was the worst internet. But then we did not connect because
1: the not match up. Wow. All right. So we didn't even talk about the Columbia game. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just think if you look at it – let's look at this Ireland game because I know the Columbia game – I can't imagine anyone came away surprised or I don't see how anyone would come away surprised that the U.S. would lose that game. I mean, anyone that – actually, you're right. The last show we did was before the Columbia game yeah. because I, I expressly remember trying to say that, look, Columbia is going to win this game. And, and they very well could blow the U.S. out. The U.S., to their credit, they made it tough. 2-1. They almost got away with a the result there. Um, it, was, it, was, but it was a good performance. It was a good performance. It, it, it was okay. Um, that, Against we, Columbia, we, I, I knew we weren't going to win, but I thought, uh, I thought certain players stood out. Uh, yeah, fine. That's not the same thing as good performance. Okay. All right. <laughs> Ireland. Ireland. The Ireland game. Um, I, See, now you made me miss my point. Thanks a lot. Man. I, <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot. I totally forgot what I was going to say. It's 4 a.m. Um am drawing like, um, What were we even talking about now? See? You're
0: killing me. You know, um, the one thing that did surprise me, how many Columbia fans were at that game? I didn't think there were going to be that many. Oh, it's that amazing. Was it was
1: it was amazing. Oh, okay. Back now. I remember my point now. But yeah, Columbia was amazing. We should talk about the Columbia game now. But before we get to that, the Ireland game. Ireland, the U.S. team that played that game, just was. They were soft. They played. They were not tough. They did not step up to the Irish. They did not challenge them. They allowed themselves to get pretty much. I don't want to say bullied, but they just didn't stand up to the Irish. And what? Think about this. Think about who's missing from this game, right? Obviously, Tim Howard's on hiatus. We all know this. Clint Dempsey's not there. And we know how tough he is, and how, how how much of the backbone he is. Jermaine Jones is not there. We know how much of the backbone he is to this team. Michael Bradley's not there. Michael Bradley had surgery. So when you take away the, that spine of the team, and, and then you come away afterwards, and, and you have a Josie um, you know, pointing out the fact that you know what this that this U.S. team just was not was not tough enough. Yeah. Klinsmann said the same thing. That's why they weren't tough enough because their toughest players were not there. Clint, uh, Dempsey. Jones, Bradley, none of them there. So things got out of hand. Things got out of control. Um, uh, and, and then you got Beasler and Cameron who just were out. Beasler, Cameron, and Fabian Johnson. I mean, if I tell you four months ago that a defense, a back four of Johnson, Cameron, Beasler, and Chandler would pretty much get embarrassed oh, by, yeah. an, I, by an Ireland B team, you would have you would have thought I was crazy. But this is the situation. This is what we're dealing with. So as much as, you know what, you can't say that Klinsman is blameless, but he put a group out on the field that should be able to get a result against Ireland. And what happened? They didn't get the result. They were embarrassed. You had guys who just did not come to play, and they were missing that bo- that backbone of the team. And I love it when, people, when, when some people are like, why is Jermaine Jones playing center back? Why are you keeping him around? This is why you keep him around, because he gives you toughness and quality because he's played at the highest levels and he is a guy who helps set the tone for the team in a way that there's no one else in the group now that does that this is why if you're no kidding klinsman wants to keep him on the field and what however however way he could keep him on the field and anyone who before the ireland game was saying that about jermaine jones and asking questions about jermaine jones watch the ireland game again and maybe look at the lack of toughness in that group and then you'll understand Why Jermaine Jones, even as old as he is, is still important to this team? Well, that's what I'm saying with the realistic expectations. Though it's
0: it's we're we're not as good as as everyone thinks we are, and it just it just I I don't get where people get these ideas. Also, especially with the young guys, you know, bring up these young guys. Here's an example. I mean, a lot of these guys Foundered It it was just it was a bad performance, Ivys. Though, but it's nothing. I don't think it's anything to freak out over. If anything, you need to take the body of work from the U.S. Under Jurgen, the last four years, you know, you, you have a gold cup win, advance out of the World Cup, and then you have a runner up the gold cup. The U.S. performs. I look at it as as long as you can perform in the major tournaments and do well, that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. If you lose every single friendly but win the World Cup, I, that sounds like you pretty did a pretty damn good job to me. Bringing it back to to the Columbia game, um, I mean, who, who really stood out to you in, in this match? Yes, you you did have the PK. Um, a nice take, but by Josie Atador. But but what really stood out to you in, in the Columbia game? and certain players and, and kind of how
1: the U.S. looked. Well, <laughs> I gotta. It was so long ago now that like <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta I should try to dig up my player grades for that game. But uh, I would say this: Rubio Rubin, for a national yes. team debut. I thought he did very well. And, and here's a stat for you: a stat that I actually took took quite some time to to put together, and I actually hadn't revealed it yet anywhere. Ooh. I was gonna. Um, but breaking he, news. No, it's not breaking Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. news, but it's just, it's a stat. It's a stat. He he Rubio Rubin was became the 10th teenager to make to start in his national team debut. Just the 10th. Um and, and so I mean he's he's in pretty select company there. And you know what? He held his own. He did pretty well there. Um just to re- rattle mm-hmm. off some of the names on the list for you. I'm not going to read them all, but just I'll I'll mention some of the names that people actually know. DeMarcus Beasley, um uh, Jeff Agus, uh, chris henderson bruce murray that's that's just some of the of the other nine uh guys who who start who were teenagers and started in their first cap credit to Rubin the guy shows that he's not afraid to play physical he 's got skill on the ball he's confident to be his as young as he is you already see an edge to him, and you already see uh how he can be how he's benefiting from having made the jump directly to europe it's easy to forget you know that here's a guy who came straight out of high school. Went straight to Europe, didn't mess around, didn't do college, didn't do MLS, didn't do academy, none of that. He went straight to Europe, and he's and he's thriving there, and, and and that's how you get a fast track. Uh, and it, look, that's not for everybody. Uh, it's not to say every player should go to Europe, but I think Rubio Rubin, with the performance he had in that first game, uh, provided some pretty clear evidence that, you know yep. what, you take a young guy with some talent, you, you bring him over to Europe and have him in a good environment, and it will help him grow faster. And I know some people would argue that. I'm sure MLS. The uh, I think we we took we 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 there's obviously stuff that that came out uh, after our last show, uh, talking about uh, MLS officials upset with Klinsman for for allegedly steering players toward Europe, uh, even even potential academy products. Um, but look, you know what? I, having read the, I don't know if anyone if you missed it, you definitely go read it. Brian Strauss had a great piece on the Fulham Academy and Emerson Hyndman and what and what the process is there of developing talent. And when you read that and you listen to the players in that and you see the proof in the pudding, you understand why people want to go to Europe, whether it's on the as a senior team club player or even as a young player to go into the academies there. The system there is at a higher level, so I don't I don't know how anyone could begrudge anybody for either doing it, going over there and trying it. Or telling people to go over there and try it because you know what, if you put the work in, you it can just give you such an advantage. Uh, that's not to say that MLS academies are useless or they can't produce talent because they have, but you know they're what? Just, they're not there yet. They're not at that level. They're yet. not. They're not on that level, and it's not even. It's not close. It's not. It really isn't close. So, uh, you know, getting back to the point, Rubio Rubin, great to see yep. an 18 an year old kid go up against the number three team in the world, not be overwhelmed not be gun shy not be afraid he get he even created he had a header he had a great chance there on an Alejandro Bedoya cross that was saved but again a great header so you gotta love that if you're a U.S. fan obviously you're, you're unhappy that the team gave up the lead and lost but things like that are are positive steps that will will, will you want to hope eventually lead to the next variation of this U.S. team. Uh,
0: and, then, and then on the back line, uh, you, you talk about guys that stood out. Greg Garza, you know, we keep raving about his performances. Uh, but John Brooks, I, I thought he looked pretty good next to Jermaine Jones in the match.
1: I was absolutely shocked by John Brooks because I got to tell you, here's a guy who hadn't played a ton this year for Hertha Berlin. He gets thrown in against Colombia and the attackers that they have. And I tell you, when, they, when I saw the lineup before the game, I was like, oh my lord, Columbia's gonna win about 4-0. They're gonna they're gonna put 4-5 up. Brooks is gonna get filleted. But you know what? He had a great game, uh uh, you know, relatively speaking. He played well with Jermaine Jones, he played with confidence, he made a lot of big plays there. Uh so I, I think if anything, that that I mean, if you're looking for bright spots in these two games, I think that you come away from that looking at him and saying, here's a guy who you know we, read, we we all heard about the problems that hurt to Berlin for him getting playing time um, there's some veterans that hurt to now um, that that are in his way so to speak that that are ahead of him on the depth chart so it's t- it's been that much tougher for him to get playing time but to see him have that kind of game against that kind of competition shows you that yes there's still something there that he's still somebody and it's again it's what is he 21 I mean that he's still young too let's not forget that so again. I think from that standpoint, those are the kind of positive things that I'm sure Klinsman is looking at and saying, you know what, we hate the results, we hate the fact that we gave up this lead, we hate the fact that we gave, enough, gave up another late winner, but if as long as we're finding young guys, testing young guys, and they're uh, passing these tests and they're growing as players, then it's not it's not completely useless. And you're exactly right about the young guys, and, and Jurgen has, has shown an ability Ives, to identify
0: some of these young guys, build them up, and And put them in good spots to succeed for the u s men's national team uh more importantly though, the atmosphere at the match looked awesome. I mean there might have been what like ten u s fans there I, where did all these Columbia fans come from
1: well it, it, I, I did find it funny the some people's reactions to to the number of colombian fans there you got to remember this number one colombians the, 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 colombia as a country has ha, has had a lot of um emigration away from colombia a lot of people who've you know, obviously, in the '80s when you had all the uh, the drug wars, Bob Escobar, all that. So a lot of Colombians obviously left Colombia and they went all over the world. Obviously, a lot of them came to the U.S. and a lot of them went to Europe. So there is a strong Colombian uh, community in Europe. Now, imagine you're a Colombian. Uh, uh, you're a Colombian in Europe, whether you're you were born in Colombia or you're a Colombian descent you are and then Colombia just had this amazing World Cup so obviously you're full of Colombian pride you love your national team you love Jaime Rodriguez and then you find out Colombia's playing in London against the USA you're going to find a way to get to that game right you're going you're going to do whatever it takes it's probably the one chance you'll get uh, to watch your national team play anywhere near you so anyone who knows Europe traveling in Europe it doesn't matter you know if you if you're in France you're in Italy uh, you're in Spain a lot of, there's a lot of Colombians in Spain um they all they all went to London. Uh, they that's pretty much what happened. The, the, this it was just this exodus all the all the Colombians in in Western Europe showed up for this game, packed Craven Cottage. It was a sea of yellow. It was really impressive. The atmosphere was amazing, I got to say. It was amazing. And yes, there were only a small number uh of of American fans there, but there were there were some there, they were behind the goal. Uh they got drowned out quite a bit obviously with all the Columbia fans there, but um it was it was a great atmosphere. It's one of the better atmospheres uh, for a game that I've been to. I mean, a non non World Cup, non qualifying game. As far as friendlies go, uh, it's hard for me to remember a, a, a friendly that had that much just passion in the in the, in the stands. And it was great. And that's the kind of stuff that makes a game like this uh, such a great test because obviously you're playing not you're already playing Colombia. You're playing <clears throat> you're playing a great team, but then to play them in that atmosphere, it just heightens it. And it just makes it an even better experience uh, to help the, gro- the, the continued growth of, of, of some of these younger players. So, you know what? I'm sure Klinsman was happy as heck for that. And even the Ireland game, I got to say, the crowd in the Ireland game was, was, was into the game. It, it wasn't quite – it wasn't the same as the, as, the, as the Columbia game. But it was still uh, Aviva stadium, beautiful stadium. And it, the environment was there, was great. Obviously, they, they had come off that tough loss to, to – who who they lose? To? They lost to Scotland? Uh, Ireland lost to Scotland earlier in the week. So I'm, I'm sure the fans were a little down, but that for them to, to put that whooping on the U S the, the, the crowd was completely into it. Uh, so you know what, even like take a guy like Jordan Morris, right? Stanford university college player. He's in us training camp. He makes his debut and he walks onto the field at Aviva stadium packed house. Uh, I mean that, and, and comes in and plays in this game, created a scoring chance. Um, you know what? That's the kind. Those are the kind of experiences that are going to help some of these young guys develop. And as much as it was an ugly result, I still think you come away from it, both these games having learned some things and having had some younger players learn some things.
0: Well, when you talk about the younger players that, that learned some things, uh, with these two games, obviously you had a lot of players that, that took advantage of the opportunity and you had a lot of players that, that underperformed. Um, when you look at kind of some of the players that underperformed, we talked about it. Uh, Fabian Johnson, he's he's one that stands out big time. Another guy, I was, that does stand out to me. We have yet to talk about is mixed discrewed. Here's a player that's looking to make a move uh, to the next level, and and yes, he did score a goal, and he does have moments of brilliance. But I mean, you kind of want, you hope and want, and expect more. in mixed discrewed, I was, it was kind of a flat performance for him in these in these two
1: matches. I don't know if it was necessarily a case of expecting more from him. I think well, going into these games, these games were always going to be. The, the the toughest test that he's faced let's not forget the guy did not play in the world cup and i think and there's a reason for that i think people need to remember um, you know think about that fact that you know what he wasn't ready for the world cup and as much as he showed well in some of these friendlies in the in the past few months um the the level of competition in those games weren't at the same level as a colombia with the way that colombia presses their opponent it doesn't give you time and space on the ball but again, that's a learning experience, and I think this group uh, was able to learn from that. And he's, he even said it. He said that he's never been in a game that was like that. He's ne- and that's good, and he wants that because that that shows him what, where the bar is and how far he has to go. The second now the the Ireland game, yes, he scored a goal, which is great. You love to see that nice finish. Uh, but you know, he had his issues in that game as well with turnovers and, and not really imposing himself, um, playing a little soft in the middle. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, it's easy, for, it's easy to forget how young he is even. I mean, I think he's – what is he, 23? He's still young too. He's got a ways to go. Uh, he's not the finished product. Anyone who came away from the earlier friendlies uh, in the recent months and, and thought, oh, this is our man. He's going to be our number 10. We should start him. He's ready to go. No, 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 no. He still has room to grow. And if anything, we saw that in these friendlies. Now the next step for this group is – to find a better club situation, his contract is up with Rosenborg, and I talked to him about it, about the situation, and and it sounds like he's going to stay in Europe. And it, I mean, his exact words were, you know, he's not he's not opposed to MLS, but he likes he really likes to play, he really likes Europe. And I did find it funny how someone uh, I saw some report that that took comments he made after the Ireland game as a suggestion that he wants to come to MLS or oh, or he's. And it was complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. I mean, look. If I ask you, uh, are you? What do you think about moving to Spain? And you're saying you're open to it. I'm not gonna write. Oh, guess what? Garrett's moving to Spain. Well, it's That's-
0: it's a it's a trap. It's not a trap question, but it's like, what are you gonna say? No, Spain sucks. Well, then you like you have to say. All he can't. said. Listen.
1: All he said about. Oh, oh, He was asked specifically about MLS, and his answer was he's open to anything. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. That does not mean the guy's coming to MLS, folks. Now, yes. Are there teams interested in him still? Yes. Were there teams that almost signed him or that were close to, you know, were talking to him and wanting to bring him in? Yes. Has he shown an openness and willingness to talk about and think about and consider MLS? Yes. But I tell you what, when I talked to him, he said he would like to, his exact quote was he'd like to play in MLS someday. Uh, but for right now, he likes Europe. He likes Europe. And think about this. The way Klinsman has been about MLS and about Europe. If you're a mixed screwed and you have aspirations about the national team, are you going to go to MLS or are you going to try to find a better league in Europe to play in? I, I, I think that's a pretty much a no-brainer. So for me, I find it really hard to believe that he's going to come to MLS now. Um, when you look at some other players, though, Ivis, the players that, that did perform well, uh, you know,
0: I could say, we, we could say Greg Garza um, Alejandro Bedoya was active in both matches, but one guy that that is kind of a you almost could say he's like an enigma right now. Bobby Wood puts himself in great positions, Ivis, but the one thing he's lacking is the finishing quality in the final third, and and maybe that does play into a fact of how young he is and he's still receiving caps. But um, I mean, Bobby Wood just seems like a guy. Ivis, if he can connect once, it just seems like it will, everything will connect from
1: there. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I agree. I agree. You don't think well, you don't I, no, <laughs> no, no, I mean it's just one of those things that you do when you like uh, in 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 lieu of a question you just answer your own question and then I'm supposed to just like do what? Like say, "Oh yeah." You're okay. supposed to say, "Yes,
0: Gary, you're the best in the business at at
1: <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> well, look, Bobby Wood, I I know some people are frustrated with him. I know some people look at it and say, "Why can this guy not score a goal?" He keeps ending up in these positions, but look, the pot, he's twenty two years old. He's not playing regularly at his club team. He's having some issues with his club team, but he keeps putting himself in these spots, and that there's something to be said for that. For a player his age, uh on, in, on the international level, to be putting himself in these positions to get, to get these chances. I mean, he, you know what it. We're talking two games in Europe, one against Colombia, one against Ireland, where he gave himself, where he put himself in position to, to have great scoring chances, and had them stopped by two great saves. You know, you can, are you going to blame the guy for a great save? I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Like, it's one thing if you get a shot in front of goal and you sky it over the bar or you send it wide when you it was easier to make than miss. But when you get a guy who's put himself in great spots and has his his shots denied by great saves. I mean, Chuck, give, give the goalkeeper credit and, Chuck, and give the young kid some credit for putting himself in those spots. So I think for me, I think, if anything, it shows that there's ability there. It, it, sh- it shows that, you know what, Klinsman calling this guy in isn't, isn't out of the blue. There's something there. He sees talent there. And I think anyone looking at it objectively, you have to say this kid's got something. So hopefully he gets his club situation sorted. He gets playing time. Um, and so he can really grow because right now I'm sure he's he's stagnating a bit but if he continues to grow the guy, he can still be a factor now getting back to the players the other players who I thought did well I thought Greg Garza played well I think everybody thinks Greg Garza played well uh, what I was impressed with was was with his cameo uh, as a left winger in the Ireland game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, he played like 15 minutes there, look, he's played, he was a midfielder earlier on in his career um, but he, I tell you what, he showed me more in his 15 minutes as a winger, then I think I've seen from Julian Green in in all his minutes, apart from the goal. And obviously, yeah, how do you ignore the goal against Belgium? But I I, I mean I thought Gar I mean Garza's touch was great. He's quick. He 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 go he can, he can dribble at people. He like he, I'm not saying let's move him the left winger, but I thought it was impressive that they, uh, Klinsman put him there and he didn't really miss a beat. Um, but I'd say of the of all the players that that were in this camp, nobody increased their stock as much as Greg Garza. And, Garrett, I, there's two more points that I have to make about the Ireland game. Um, number one, Alejandro Bedoya, uh, the, the way he played on the wing, uh, remind, I think served as a reminder that the guy can be a good winger. He can be an effective winger. He was the best U.S. player against Ireland. I know Klinsman has been trying him out a bit in the midfield triangle, in the 4-3-3, uh, having him be a bit uh, more central player. And, obviously, we saw but at the World Cup. But I'll tell you what. For me, from what we saw, he showed that as far as right wingers go, like he's probably he might be the most effective one, and you might want to keep him there. And with Josie Altador looking much better, looking much more comfortable in a four four two, having someone next to him, uh, I think you if you if, if you're gonna start looking more at the four four two, then Bedoya as a right winger, I think works. And then the last thing I'll say, Josie Altador, I know he's a polarizing figure among U.S. fans. You get you get the U.S. fans who are frustrated at the at the fact that he doesn't score, he hasn't been scoring goals. Uh, and he's struggling at his club team, but well, I would say that from what I was able to gather from my time in your in in London and in dublin and and seeing him with the team, seeing him in the games and seeing how he carries himself with the group I'd say this: him wearing a captain armband, arm band, I see a player who's maturing. I see a player who when I see this Ireland game uh I see him taking on more of a leadership role and and, and I think and I also see his game evolving because you know it, it was. Easy Easy to kind of get lost in the 4-1 and, and say, oh, there's nothing redeeming about this game. But I, I tell you what. I saw Altidore holding the ball up well. I saw him moving well. He obviously had the pass that, that eventually led to the goal. He had the pass that found Wondolowski. Wondolowski headed it to disc route. Um, and then after the game, uh, you want to talk about Altidore stepping up, uh, be, you know, being able to put everything on the table as far as the, the team's issues and trying to put it all in perspective. I see a player who is maturing, and considering what he's going through with his club situation, struggles for playing time, the frustration that he must be feeling on that front, I see a guy who still, when he gets in with the national team, uh, he just plays at a different level. He, he has a different comfort zone. And, tu- and uh, you'd be amazed how many different players singled out Josie Altador as someone who impressed them in camp and someone who just stood out in camp. And I know people can going to say, yes, he needs to translate it to the field. Score some goals. I agree. He does need to do that. But I think we shouldn't ignore the obvious signs that this guy. I think he's growing up. I think he's growing up as a player. He, you know, he hit the post on one on the one shot in the Ireland game. Uh, he scored the penalty against Colombia. He stepped up, took it. wasn't Was it a great penalty? No, but he converted it. Um, so I think look at that. I think people should look at that and say, you know what? This is a guy who it's easy to write him off because he's not playing at Sunderland and he's not scoring goals, but. I think I still see a player there who's showing quality and if and and when he I'm going to say when when he makes his move this winter, if he goes to a good situation, gets regular playing time, I think he will he will absolutely be there in the Gold Cup and being that kind of star striker that he showed. in. It's easy to forget. It was only what a year and change ago, 2013 World World Cup qualifying when he scored every single game. I mean, it's easy to forget what he can do when he's on his game. And I. Think I think we could see that again.
0: Well, come on, Ivys, you know what it is. It's it's. What have you done for me lately? He hasn't done anything. So come on, Ivys, you know you know the game.
1: Well, he uh, uh, he scored in he scored against Columbia, and he and he helped set up the goal against Ireland. So I think he did he did okay even in the production <laughs> standpoint. But I think from a leadership standpoint and just a maturity standpoint, I mean, I've been around the guy for a while, right? I mean, I covered him obviously from day one with the with, uh, since he turned pro, even before he turned pro. I remember interviewing him down in Bradenton when he was in the residency program. Um, and here's a kid who, you know what? He's had his growing pains. He's had to grow up. He's had his he's his kind of phases. And he's look, he's not all the way there yet either. But he is. I I get a I get a sense that this that this guy is maturing and then he's putting things in perspective and he's pretty even-keeled about things. And from that standpoint, I think it's great to see all that, especially given what he's going through, because what that tells me is once he gets into a situation where uh, he gets the chance to play regularly, I think he's going to tear it up. Oh, yeah. I
0: I agree with you 100%. It just a good situation. will succeed. Uh, This past week, NASL final happened, and uh, congratulations goes out to San Antonio Scorpions as they defeated the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. 2 to 1 at home winning uh the 2014 Soccer Bowl. I I like that name for a uh, for championship ibis.
1: Uh I don't know if I like it, but <laughs> look, Crudos of San Antonio uh big win for them and Josh Saunders goalkeeper, former MLS Cup champ with the Galaxy uh and soon to be NYCFC goalkeeper. Uh, you like to see him go out with a win, and uh, before he he joins the NYCFC for the 2015 season. Uh, and it, and I, did, I did find it interesting how many uh, former MLS players uh, were on that San Antonio team. And uh, you know what? Credit to Fort Lauderdale to get there, fighting all the way just to get into the playoffs, slipping into the playoffs, and then making the most of it. Um, I tell you what, it, you know, if you're if you're NASL, you got to feel pretty good about the year as a whole. Um, you know, I think the, the league continues to grow. The quality continues to improve. And when you see a guy like Miguel Ibarra get a national team call-up, and I, I have a feeling you'll see Christian Ramirez getting a national team call-up uh, come January, I think that's only positive. It's only positive. And I know some people will look at, at all the MLS expansion talk for for markets like San Antonio, I mean, uh, for San Antonio, for uh, Minneapolis, and you ask yourself, well, how can how can the NASL survive if it keeps losing teams to MLS? But you know what? I just think that this country is so hungry for soccer and I think there's so many markets that still haven't been tapped. I think the NASL will be just fine cuz I think the NASL the NASL has uh, uh, has the ownership groups, has enough ownership groups now that are committed uh that I think they they've got a good foundation. Um when you want to talk about the Cosmos, Indy 11, uh for Lauderdale now with their new ownership group there. So I think I tell you what, I think future is bright uh for the, for the NASL. Uh, whether or not they lose uh, teams like you know Minnesota, San Antonio, obviously that those would be huge losses. Minnesota would be a huge loss, but I think as a league, you got to love where they are now compared to you know where uh, you know second division soccer was you know a couple three four years ago.
0: Yeah, and there's some other teams too that that do very well. Tampa Bay does very well in the league. The, the Canadian teams do very well. It's like you said, man. I, I agree with you. NSL is it's it's very very good league. Um, on Thursday. NCAA Division One Men's College Cup went underway. Uh, it seemed like every single game went to a shootout, maybe except for North Carolina, who smoked James Madison 6-0. to So now we're in the second round. So uh, if you're a seeded team, you received a bye. You will now play the teams that won on Thursday night. And just kind of looking at the the College Cup as a whole, Ivis, looking from the outside, looking in, um, just kind of what are your thoughts on it,
1: favorite teams, things we should, we should look out for. First round games were on Thursday, but the real action starts this weekend as the top 16 uh, seeded teams get into action. Uh, For anyone who kind of hasn't kept up on the college game or or, or doesn't really know who to watch uh, or who to follow, I would suggest uh, checking out our preview. We we ran a preview on Thursday on SBI, kind of not only laying out what the matchups are, but also giving you a little rundown of who the top players to watch are, who the favorites are, who are some of the sleepers to watch. So, um, I, I would say what's interesting about this tournament is that there is no f- like clear cut top team, top favorite, or even a, a top two teams. I mean, uh, the, Notre Dame is the number one seed, but I don't know how many people would call them the favorite coming into this tournament. I mean, I, for me, they'd probably be like fifth choice. Uh, the whole way the seeding structure is, I think, is a little off the mark. Uh, Stanford, uh, for my money, should have, you know, they are the top team coming into this tournament. Uh, and then you got a, a team like Maryland that's been red hot uh, later in the year. They're also another team to watch. But I'd say there's like six or seven legitimate contenders, uh, legitimate title contenders. um, And the Pac-12 has several of them. Stanford, uh, UCLA, you have Maryland. uh, Washington, who struggled later in the year with results-wise, but they have a ton of talent. They could absolutely catch catch fire and get into the mix. Notre Dame, they're the defending champions, but I'm not sold on them uh, being there in the end. I actually like Georgetown. In their bracket, even though they're only the eighth seed, I think Georgetown has the quality to to come through in that bracket. But if you want to see some, uh, if you can actually see any of these games, that's another tough part about the, the the men's tournament is that seeing games before the final four can be pretty tough. Although it seems now we're going to have some more online options mm-hmm. for that. Um, but I would definitely suggest, you know, if you if, even if you don't follow college game, if you follow MLS, you want to know who some of the top prospects co- are coming. Uh, coming into the draft next year, there's quite a few of them that are obviously in the NCAA tournament uh, that you can see play. So um, I think there's some good action this year. There's some good tournaments. There's a lot of parity in the college game, and I know I know the college game gets abused on a regular bla- uh, basis and gets blamed for all the ills of American soccer. But I would say that as much as there's not as much top end talent as there used to be, I think the overall level of quality in in the in the college game has improved, and for that reason, you have more parity. And I think you have a better standard of play. I think the the level of play in the college game today is better. It's clear it's better clearly than five years ago. So I would recommend I would recommend watching watching some of these top teams: UCLA, uh, Washington, Stanford. You got Jordan Morris who just made his national team debut. Now he rejoined Stanford, the Pac-12 champions. They're one of the favorites. I made my predictions. I actually predict UCLA to beat Stanford in the final. Mm. And and if you get that final, you're gonna have um, you know, more than a half dozen future MLS players, potentially as many as a dozen ML- future uh, professionals playing in that game. So you know what? Try to see the t- as much of the tournament as you can. I would suggest, especially now, there's not as much you know. ML- there's obviously MLS. There's it's it's down to the final four. Uh, so yeah, check it out if you get a chance. I was going to ask you who is in your final
0: four and then who's going to be the winner,
1: but I mean you already jumped the gun, Ivis. Well, final four, I got Stanford beating Georgetown. Georgetown would be a bit of a surprise, uh, knocking out Notre Dame. And I have UCLA beating Maryland. And that one could definitely go either way. Maryland uh, had a rough first half of the season, but they really turned it on uh, turned it on late in the year and, and went on a nice roll. And their goalkeeper, Zach Steffen, is one of the top pro prospects in the college game, if not the top pro prospect in a college game. But I have Stanford beating Georgetown, UCLA beating Maryland. And then I have UCLA beating Stanford. And I should preface that UCLA has a bit of – lately anyway, in the last five or six years, they've had a bit of a, a reputation of, of falling short of expectations. Um, they were my pick before the season started. They were my number one pick, and I'm going to go with them again. They've got so much talent that they should win. But I'll tell you what, Stanford with Jordan Morris could be tough to beat.
0: Um, who, who's the best player in, in, in the College Cup right now? I mean, who, who is the player that, that everyone should be watching?
1: Well, there's quite a few, man. I, I got to say, uh, Zach, Zach Stefan is one. Is one I, I, without a doubt. I mean, I think he's a guy who, who uh, you know. I, I know some people are like, oh, will he be at MLS? I think he's going to go straight to Europe. Um, you have uh, Leo Stolz at UCLA. You have uh, Christian Roldan at Washington. Darwin Jones at Washington, who's a Seattle Sounders homegrown player. Uh, there's so many. There's so, there's so many uh, good, and then obviously some of your. Oh, Alex Bono, the, the the goalkeeper for Syracuse, who's getting a lot of buzz as a potential generation Adidas signing. You have Joshua Yarrow, the Georgetown defender, who is one of the absolute top prospects. He's probably a top three level prospect, uh, draft prospect now. Um, unfortunately for uh, uh, people who follow uh, Kyle Lahren, the, the UConn forward, they are not in. They did not make it. They had a rough year, but Kyle Lahren still going to be a top three pick for my money. So... Uh, there's a ton of talent, man. There's a ton of quality talent. Jay Chapman at Michigan State, another first round pick. Uh, obviously, Jordan Morris, another Seattle Sounders homegrown player. Your boy, Coco Velasco at Louisville, player to watch. Um,
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's Ricardo Velasco. <laughs> You're thinking uh, Coco Navarro I, at Marquette. Oh,
1: I just gave, I just gave him a nickname. No, nah, I'm going to call him Coco. I'm going to call him Coco Velasco. Dude, ri- <laughs> dude
0: ric- <laughs> ric- Ricardo is
1: money, man. He had a good year for Louisville this year. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a bunch of uh, who are, my, Oh, Michael Amick, the UCLA defender, who who is uh, a really really good prospect as well. So there's a lot of guys in this, still to, uh, in the tournament. Uh, the key, the tough part is getting to see these games, especially the early round games. It's been like next to impossible to see these games, but I, it does seem like this year we're going to be able to see more games on stream. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We'll we'll try to provide schedules for for online op- viewing options uh in the coming days so make sure you keep an eye out for that. What
0: about my boy uh Cory Baird, dude? He's been killing it at Stanford this year.
1: Hey, another, hey there He's you go. Stanford get... Stanford is on fire right now. And they, and they want think about it, they won the Pac-12 with Jordan Morris. Yeah. In US National Team camp. Now they bring Jordan Morris back in and you know what? They're they're right there. I mean, I have him I have him in the final. I have him in the final and uh that could definitely be kind of a coming out party for you know, if Morris uh if Morris tears it up and I'll tell you what, having talked to Morris now, he's focused on this season, but I would say this. He's only a sophomore, but I would say I I think it's it's a pretty safe bet that he will be a pro uh, come January, whether it's with the Seattle Sounders or whether it's going somewhere in Europe. Jordan Morris will be a pro uh, this time next year. I I I just don't see him putting in the third year in college. He just doesn't have to. He's ready now. I mean, I, I heard nothing but raves. About him in national team camp from some of the young, from some of the guys, uh, mixed discroed another uh, as an example, jo- uh, Josie Um, You know they couldn't stop talking about how, how much he impressed in camp. So keep an eye out because that kid is going to be something special. Doesn't he realize how much fun college is though? Well, that's why he's st- that's why he's still there, man. That's why he could have <laughs> signed with Seattle after his freshman year, <coughs> and he turned it down. He turned it down His college, his college is great, man. <laughs> and, yeah, and I tell you what, Stanford's not a bad place. I mean, I got a chance <laughs> yeah. to spend some. I got a chance to spend some time there for U.S. camp before the World Cup, and uh, it's pretty chill over there. I got to say, I could totally see why you would want to stick around. Uh, I've actually never been to Stanford's campus before, but I do like.
0: So, there are some sweet college, and general college campuses. Um, well, there it is, Ivis. I see. I, I don't have a team in the tournament. I just root for all the Arizona players.
1: Well, you got you got uh, Louisville's in the tournament, and. and uh, your boy Brody's in that. They got four boys from the academy
0: on their team. See, that's oh, the thing. I'll go. root for the academy boys, and then I'll root for all the Arizona players, and, and that's
1: that's that's about the extent. And Louisville should be your sleeper team because they got a lot of those guys.
0: Okay, fine. Then uh, Louisville will be my team. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. Watch them lose. Watch them lose yeah. this weekend.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Ivis man, um, that's it, man. We reached the end of the uh, of the show of things that we we are scheduled to talk about, man. I. I I, I you know, at this point we might as well just record till the morning.
1: <laughs> what is it? Is it four thirty A.M. now? Yeah. Um well, it's, it's not, Sun's coming up in what? Almost another hour for you? Another hour or two? Oh, uh, I am not going to bed yet. I mean it's it's a, it, I was just I was over in Europe for eight days, so right now my body is it, to my body it's like nine thirty AM. So I'll be up I'll be up for a while getting stuff ready for the weekend. Um I just finished a piece for Goal.com talking about the, uh, the, the the star center backs that are left in the and M- MLS playoffs. If you look at it, it's interesting that all four teams have former MLS Defenders of the Year on their team. Actually, the win- winners of the five of the last six MLS Defender of the Year awards are in these playoffs. You got Chad Marshall, Hamasun um, Olave, Omar Gonzalez, and Jose Gossavis. So all four of them are going to be key. Everyone's going to talk about the attacking players. The attacking players get all the love. Bradley Wright Phillips, Robbie Keane, Obafemi Martins, Lee Wynn, all those guys get the love. But I tell you what, how far those teams go is going to depend a big, a, a, a large part on how those star center backs step up in these games. My T-Vote shows that I missed while I was in Europe, I got to catch up on The Walking Dead. Oh, dude, how, how sick was The Walking Dead? Pretty good. We're not going to do any spoilers, but, yes, pretty good. It's, uh, it is pretty funny that the kid from Everybody Hates Chris is now on the show. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that till the till they did talking dead. That's I was like, "Oh, dude, that's what he's from." Yeah, I mean, he's all grown up now. So I think that that was pretty good. Um and yeah, you know, so it, it's good to it's good to be back home. I mean, it, as much as I love to travel and I love, you know, vi- visiting new places, uh you love to go on a road, but then once you're on a road a while, you just want to get home, get back to the the routine. Uh be with the family, enjoy some family time. So uh it, it's good, it's good. And then obviously the MLS playoffs are back on Sunday. I'll be at Red Bull Arena uh for Red Bull's Revs, which is gonna be a great one. And uh you know it never stops, just keeps on going.
0: Is it uh is it not snowing where you're at right now?
1: There's zero snow here. Don't don't chase us, man. What are we? We're not we're not Buffalo. We're not gonna get like seventy inches of snow or I'm whatever. I'm checking absurd. so
0: so Sunday weather is uh
1: chance of showers, it looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, God, fifty-two it's, it's,
0: degrees. It sounds horrible.
1: It's like balmy, man. That's relatively that. well. You know what? Fifty-two degrees in showers is what I just spent the last week in London and Dublin, like enjoying. So, I mean, it's it's all the same. So. I'm like, it's
0: like seventy over
1: here, and I'm I'm freezing every day. Gonna, you, you want you really want people to hate you? You really want people to hate? <laughs> you. I think that's what it is.
0: I'm wearing on. like I'm wearing like a hoodie, a shirt, and like jeans, dude. That, like that's how cold I am.
1: You're, you're you're a miserable person. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible.
0: It's sunny every day. It's cold. Ugh. It's no, the, it's but I tell you what.
1: No, it was good. It was good to be over there, and I always love to meet American fans who who travel and make the trips because you got a lot of dedicated fans out there. That oh. I mean, they spend I don't know how much money to go to as many games as they go to, and and it's funny you see a lot of the same faces. Um, in Dublin, I'd say that I was at the AO night before party in Dublin, even though I got there like really late because. We always have work to do on the day of these parties, so we always get there late. We never get there like right from the beginning. But plus, we gotta yeah. be fashionably late, right? Well, that, no, that's I mean, important. Well, you know, I did find interesting that Dublin uh, places generally close at midnight. Oh, really? Which you, which you would think Dublin. I mean, come on, it's Dublin. Like they party till morning, um, but it's just a matter of you got to find the. You got to know the spots. Like you got to know people. You got to got. You got to have a little bit of a hookup uh i was fortunate enough to have somewhere that i ended up and we were hanging out till i don't even 3 a.m i don't even remember how late it was but it was good good times a lot of guinness had by all it was it was uh, it was pretty good did anyway. uh did anyone buy you a cosmo nobody oh, a couple of a couple of guys bought me beers and uh definitely thanks for that i did i found it interesting i met a fan i met a u.s fan u.s national team fan from canada and i gotta say very cool guy uh, he was actually at both games in Europe, and I, I just, I gotta say, this is a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, apparently, he started following the U.S. team in the 94 World Cup, and then just kind of kept following the U.S. team, and he is like a diehard U.S. national team fan who is from Canada. So basically, yes, he is like the Teal Bumbery of U.S. fans, so you know, credit to him. Uh, Cause you know what, you, you take them all. If you as long as you're, if you're rooting for the US then I guess you you know you're okay with everybody. So I don't think anyone. Although I'm sure Canadian fans will probably hate that the idea that there's such a person that exists. But <laughs> you know what, it is what it is. But it was great, though. It was great. But the trip was great. The Columbia game was amazing. The atmosphere, Craven Cottage. I mean, I've been to Craven Cottage before. I was uh I was I, I went to Clint Dempsey's last home game, uh before he we went to Tottenham, uh, Fulham, Arsenal, and that was a great environment. But the Colombian fans were amazing man they they rocked it they rocked that place so it was a good time good time all around um, I can't believe no one about you Cosmopolitan what is wrong with people they, 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 I don't know I, it's because you know what they, they love me and they hate you that's pretty much that yeah, is true that's not true of,
0: people don't they, ah, don't they don't hate me that
1: much nah, nah, people like you man people are always asking me where you are you know like whenever, whenever I, I don't I live in
0: I, New York why don't people understand this I live in Arizona I live
1: <laughs> in, no no but I just mean even travel like when I'm on the road people think like oh you're on the road yeah why don't, why don't you take me on the road with you <laughs> one day man one day um m l s cup m l s cup and uh wherever that may be oh dude i tried to have the conversation today it did not go oh well. boy <sighs> you know what that's it you're not going <laughs> i don't i think we'll do the s b i show uh we'll have a co- we'll have a guest host take <laughs> <the place. laughs> that will not be happening <laughs> yeah you don't want to get you don't want to get uh, wally pipped
0: oh no i i do not uh, i was that wraps sub- up today's show i'm gonna let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your night and prepare for breakfast because it's like what is it five o'clock for you man i mean it's almost breakfast time
1: i know i think i'm gonna head over to walmart buy some fruit and uh make a nice breath make a nice breakfast for my kids and, and wife actually my oldest son just said he had his tonsils taken out he had Ooh. surgery so he's on the whole ice cream and jello regimen for the next uh, next few days so good for him that'll that'll be fun but uh but yeah man so uh Thanks again, everybody, for for who who followed uh, my my journey over to, uh, to across the pond, and uh, make sure you keep listening and keep on if you haven't yet. As we always ask, please give us reviews and uh, and uh, on on iTunes. And also, last thing, if you haven't yet, make sure you follow hashtag S- uh, hashtag uh, it, what is it at SBI Soccer. That's the site's Twitter handle. Uh, that's where all our story links go to now. Um, you can still follow me for all my my brilliant musings, but if you want to keep up on all the content flowing through our site, you want to make sure you're checking out at SBI Soccer. That's the new handle. So we're trying to we're trying to you know pump up the following there. Uh, I think we got like two thousand followers, uh, but you know I'm sure we'll get it up there by the end of the year. I'm not following it till you follow me.
0: <laughs> I feel well, like I, you're big time in me, and I'm looking You're following like HTC USA. Come on. Really? I don't
1: even. I don't even know what that means. I exactly.
0: You're not following me. That's what it means. So me, I refuse.
1: Me, is in my account or me is in the SBI soccer. The
0: SBI soccer account is not following me. That's like that's like big time in the Ivis. Well, I don't even. I, I mean, look, I, look at look at look at these. Look who you're following on the SBI account. DC United, Toronto FC. I mean, this is
1: a joke, man. Come on. Well, to be fair, the SBI <laughs> soccer account is accessed by multiple editors on the staff oh, so
0: it's franco i, I oh it's, it's he fr- d- no no he's, he does he's not behind have, this
1: he does actually he actually does not have access okay so, <laughs> ryan, uh, ryan tolmich daniel Carell, and uh caitlin murray are are three editors on staff have access to it so uh you can blame them for <laughs> you can blame them for any any uh you know anything basically uh, th- those people must have you know formed like a uh, a trifecta hate Garrett thing that, that that has to be a conspiracy yeah, i was they probably haven't. I probably haven't told them yet that they can follow anybody. So,
0: I mean, the, the, you're following, I you following the FIFA oh. World
1: Cup. I mean, come on. <laughs> All legitimate followers. How many? How many followers do you have? Uh, over a thousand. I think it's like eleven 1, hundred. I don't think I can. I <laughs> I don't think in good. I don't think I can in good conscience recommend anyone follow you no like, i i wouldn't given all the you know the sappy girlfriend tweets. i and, never do that and all the you, you know was it vote for my girlfriend or whatever crap that you've done before come on that, no she was trying to raise money for, <laughs> for the school where she's a
0: music teacher at because <laughs> I, I will not say anything bad about that school because it's a national that,
1: program but listen but that's small you can't that's You can't do that, man. Yes, that's you small can. Time. You, that's
0: what are you talking Well, about? you know
1: what? You can do that, and people can choose not to follow you because yeah. of it.
0: Well, then so they, that's that's their option then.
1: I mean, there's certain pull people pull I don't follow on Twitter because they're, they're annoying as hell. Now, you know what I do now? And this is my thing, and <laughs> I love it. Because, uh, you know, look, let's be honest. There's people you have to follow on Twitter because yeah. you know them, and and, and, and they're going to be upset if you don't follow them. So, you know, all you got to do is follow them and then mute them. Mute is an amazing thing. Um because then you don't actually have to read their stuff. Did you mute me? What's that? What <laughs> did well, wait, you say? Did you mute me? I don't. Do I even follow you? I don't think I even. Follow
0: you. Oh my god! What was? <laughs> why? Why are you trying to big time me right now?
1: <laughs> I told you why. I, that and the random girl soccer play-by-play stuff that you throw up every. Oh
0: my! Time. I did that. Two
1: times this is what well, it happened this is what happened well, I don't know what's wrong with that I, dude i <laughs> I don't I, need my to options
0: that. my options for covering soccer in Arizona are extremely limited
1: I tell you what you should have your AZ Kickset account and you should have your Garrett cleverly you know online there's not enough people
0: who who read AZ Kicksit for me to have my own account that, that account would be at like two hundred
1: well, that well, you know what? That those are the people who would actually care about these random things that you tweet about.
0: Look, look at this money tweet right here: AZ native and defender Donny Toya selected by Montreal Impact in dispersal draft. I mean, dude, th- these are tweets that people need to read nationally. That's a money tweet right there.
1: <laughs> All right, you 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 stick with the formula and see how, and uh, you stick with your formula and see how that how that works for you. What, what else? Am I All I can now? try to do is give you advice, but if you don't want to follow it. It's on you, man. What,
0: what, what advice could you give? Okay, then I tweet out about the Cardinals and ASU football. That, that's about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. No one cares about that. <laughs> it is what it is, man. What can you do? Well, you know what? I should point out we actually have. I I actually have an SBI show Twitter handle somewhere. I should we should start getting that going. Actually. You don't want me running that account. You wouldn't run it, but maybe I'll let you access. it. Ooh, maybe.
0: I don't know if you want to do that either.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true
0: it's just a bad idea for everyone involved
1: alright this is not the longest show ever
0: yeah it's actually quite long um, well Ivis that being said I'm going to let you go dude I need to go to bed I need to do this show you need to do your thing so have a good have a good day man have a good weekend I'll talk to you later yes sir back on Sunday yes back on Sunday and we'll be talking about the Eastern and Western Conference Finals that is Ivis Kolar so I am Garrett Cleverly. thank you for listening this is the SBI Show